Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. It feels so good to be back. It has been a while between the season break and now, and I have watched a lot, a lot of things. I am bursting at the seams to talk about these. You have no idea. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Oscar nominations, which, <laughs> whoo, do I have some things to say about that? That's a post-siren rant. I need all the cuss words for that. I also watched Pam and Tommy, Euphoria. Oh my God, Euphoria. That movie, Marry Me. I, yep, I wasted about two hours of my life watching that. I also got into Love is Blind and I, again, need the sirens because that, I I cannot discuss that show without an F-bomb after every single word. So there's those, there's so much more I am just dying to talk about. I will have everything time stamped in the description of this podcast. But I don't believe I will be spoiling anything except Euphoria, Love is Blind, and Marry Me. Because A, I cannot contain myself from spoiling what happened in that finale. B, I need to trash talk every second of Love is Blind, so that I have to spoil. And C, uh, no one needs to see Marry Me. So I am happy to spoil that entire movie for you. I'm pretty sure this is going to be a Big Mama episode because I have so much to talk about. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about each and everything I've watched, but I'm definitely going to be diving deep on some of these. But either way, I have a feeling it's going to be a longer episode, which I'm totally fine with. I knew at the end of last episode that this is probably going to be a very large episode because there's so much to catch up on. So grab your coffee, your tea or water, whatever your libation of choice is. Perch me, who is inside whatever device you're listening on, atop a sturdy surface and let's get going. Friendly reminder, this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content, offensive content, and will most certainly be using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now, on with the show. I have a confession. It's a complicated situation, okay? But I need you to hear me out. No judgment. I don't know how to make this like a short and sweet wrap up of why I haven't been drinking coffee. Yes, that is the don't judge me part of this. Like I said, it's complicated. From some health issues last year to a lot of changes this year, my appetite and my taste and like what I can and cannot consume has been ass backwards. It's it's so different from where I was at even a month ago. But ultimately, what this resulted in was, along with many other things, I have significantly cut coffee from my diet. I also cut fucking bell peppers from my diet, like those little mini ones that you get in a bag. Let me tell you something. Hold on. I need to rant. Those were a significant part of my diet. I could eat those totally fine, kill a whole bag up until mm, early last week. And if you're familiar with these peppers, sometimes the seeds, sometimes they're like white. Sometimes they can shift to like a dark brown that almost looks black. That's totally normal. I don't know if you've ever seen these, but I just want to describe them just in case so you can get the full fucking picture of what I went through. I bite into this yellow mini pepper 
and I notice there's a seed that is larger than the others. And I'm sort of just frozen on this seed for a good, oh, I don't know. It felt like eternity, but it was probably a good 10 seconds. Don't I see that seed fucking move? Yeah, antennas on this seed. Not normal. A fucking bug was in my pepper. I was hyperventilating, crying, pacing in circles, screaming. I looked absolutely fucking insane. Everyone thinks it's hilarious that this happened to me, by the way. But those fuckers were an essential part of my diet. Like, those were my favorite snack, my favorite meal. Like, I loved those things. I called my dad because I talked to him every day anyway, and I wanted to inform him of what happened to me so he could soothe me. Like a child, I'm a grown woman who sometimes calls her father for some support in matters such as this. Critical matters. And he's sort of quiet on the phone and he's like, huh, a bug on something that was from the ground? Fascinating. I could have hung up on him right there. I am not changing his diapers when the time comes. Let me just tell you that. And he is well aware of that now. How did we go from coffee to changing my father's diapers? Welcome to the show. Circling back to coffee, you know. My brand, no big deal, just the fucking thing I'm specifically known for. I am drinking my Folgers, the classic blend, the absolute best of the best, the elite coffee from the grocery store, with a little bit of oat milk, and the show goes on. Now that my bell pepper rant is out of the way and I've exposed myself for being a fake coffee lover, it's time to discuss euphoria. How do we get this ball rolling? Oh yeah, spoilers, by the way. Like I said before, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you have not watched Euphoria, specifically season two, and you don't want anything spoiled, check out the timestamps, move on. First and foremost, I would like to issue a personal apology to Suze, whose name is not Susie. I have come to learn. Suze is that bitch. Truly, I am all in. I am team Suze. I'm here for it. I just needed her to support Lexi. I needed her to spend less time on that fucking brat Cassie, which, oh, we, oh, we're going to talk about Cassie. I don't remember exactly the shit I talked about Suze in the last Euphoria episode, but I know I talk shit, so I do want to apologize. I am a part of the Suze fandom now. Where do I even begin? That episode that nobody enjoyed where Rue was on the run. I want to say the title was Be Still Like the Hummingbird. We'll start there. You know the episode. You know exactly the feeling that it put into your stomach. The amount of messages I received after that episode was insane. My inbox was fucking flooded, okay? We had to kiki about that episode, unpack it. It was church. It was therapy. It was a lot for all of us. That episode was way too raw, way too fucking real. Overall, I find that Euphoria is extremely entertaining, despite the entire premise being about a child on drugs. Heavy drugs at that. It feels very odd to associate the word entertainment with the show Euphoria based off of that, but it is an entertaining show. It's entertainment. It's a television show. That's what it's supposed to be. I grew up basically my entire childhood into my adult life with my mom heavily addicted to heroin and pills. It was not a good time. And I currently have a younger sister who's struggling with addiction that started in high school. So euphoria is very close to home for me. But I never felt uncomfortable. I always felt an understanding of it. Like, yes, I can relate to this. I can relate to that surrounding Rue, even sometimes to Rue. 
The show always straddled that line pretty well for me, but this episode was beyond uncomfortable. I genuinely felt sick and heavily triggered like the fucking snowflake I am. The shit that got me the most was that teacher man, that teacher drug dealer. Her calm and sweet manipulative voice and nature. She really felt like a nurturer. We knew she wasn't. This wasn't a secret, but there was still that veil of uncertainty and how she started Rue with needles on morphine. I, yeah, no, I can't watch needles. I I will throw up. I don't do needles. I've seen enough fucking needles to last me two lifetimes. I'm good. Rue was so vulnerable here to the point of desperation and naivety, which again, she's a child. These are normal things. Add drugs into the mix and it just makes it fucking insane. And then her waking up in a locked house after being drugged with morphine. Locked up like a fucking slave, which we know was Mrs. Morphine's intention, by the way. She made that very clear. When she gave Rue the suitcase of drugs to sell, she said, if I don't get my money, I will sell you. It was so fucking disgusting. We were lucky enough to get some comedic relief in that episode with that gem, gem, gem of a moment. The jackpot. The moment we truly were waiting for all season fucking long. When Rue called out Cassie about fucking Nate Jacobs. Hey Cass. Yeah? I have a quick question for you. What? How long have you been fucking Nate Jacobs? You're fucking Nate? Are you kidding me? No, I I don't even know why she would say that. You're lying. Can we just table this conversation? Okay, no, no, you expect me to stand here next to my best friend who's been lying to me about fucking my ex-boyfriend. I'm okay. literally gonna get violent. No, oh, you're crying? No. You're fucking crying, Daddy. fucking bitch. You're Daddy, the one who's on. hurt? The most self-centered, idiotic person I have ever fucking met. You fuck my ex and you're fucking crying? Are you fucking kidding me? How long have you been fucking him? Rue, when was this? Right after New Year's. You dumb Fucking bitch, I'm gonna fuck you! Fucking iconic. Team Maddie always. Like I said in the last episode when I talked about Euphoria, I cannot with Cassie. I understand why she is the way she is. Like, I get it, girl, but get a fucking grip. She's dickmatized, and yeah, it's a rough roll down the rabbit hole, but you need to wake the fuck up. You picked an actual psychopath over your best friend. Sidebar. Yeah, Nate's a fucking psychopath. He played faux Russian roulette with Maddie to get that CD back of his dad fucking jewels. A gun to her head, a gun to his head. I'll be honest, I thought he was gonna blow his brains out on top of Maddie. That's his fucking brand of crazy. Regardless, he got the CD. I also saw a sign that was prominently placed behind him, really in almost every shot before he jumped on her on the bed and it was smile you're on tv i don't know if that's going to be prominent at all next season i thought it would hold some significance this season because it was really prominent like if you watch that episode back and you watch that scene which i don't know why anyone would want to it's in every shot very clearly right next to nate's head so somehow maddie recorded him maybe and maybe he'll go to jail be sellies with his dad Adding more evidence to Nate's fucking riot brain, the same night that he played that game with Maddie, he gave Jules back the CD. And she's like, what, are you like a good person now or something? And he's like, no, 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 not at all. Which at least he's self-aware. We can give him that, at least in that aspect. He knows he's not a good guy. 
I truly think he just hates his dad. Understandably, he is so traumatized. I don't think it's because he's a good person that he did this. A lot of people were speculating that Nate's dad actually assaulted him when he was younger based off that scene that was very clearly like a hallucination. He was seeing Jules. He was seeing his dad. He was seeing Cassie, which I believe was actually there, I think, unless the whole thing was made up in his mind, which is very possible. But no, I don't think Cal assaulted Nate. I think Nate felt that way, understandably, because he was introduced to sex for the first time way too young by watching his father in extremely inappropriate situations. Also, Cal seemed genuinely horrified when he found out Jules was underage. I don't think we'll hear from Nate or Cal ever again. I think we're moving on, but I'll get to that later. Maybe Loki, he still loves Jules. I don't think he knows. I think us as the audience know as much as Nate does. I think he's just as fucking confused as we are. And I got that vibe during that uh, iconic performance during the play. Let's actually jump ahead to that. We've got bigger fish to fry. That seemingly surface level penis performance was so much deeper. It was crazy. It was so campy and so funny. And I loved it. I think the... MVP runner-ups for this entire season is a tie between Ethan and Faye. But the real MVP, the number one, was Lexi. She was such a star. She really had her moment, and I'm so proud of her. Finally, justice for fucking Lexi. She went bareback, balls deep with that play. And this leads us to the actual finale. Oh, what do we talk about first? Do we do hard stuff first? Or do we start off with me saying I was fucking wrong about absolutely everything? At least I knew I was off the rails, right? I knew this. This episode, man, like I went in knowing some shit was going to go down. I knew shit was going to go down. I did not, however, expect it to go full fucking Tower of Terror. I did not expect shit to go sideways, upside down, and around and around and around we go. We had that cunt yelling fight back and forth. Tally's a two-faced cunt. Why am I not a cunt? You're the cunt! You're the fucking cunt, bitch! Which, yes, finally. Can we just, as a society, decriminalize the word cunt? I know it's so dirty for the previous generation. Even if you've cussed up every single way, if you say that word to someone above the age of 40, you will literally see the soul lift from their body. It's kind of a hobby of mine. I love that word. It felt so good to see it on television. So good, especially back and forth like that between Maddie and Cassie. And I have been waiting, waiting to tell you bitches I told you so. Don't you feel dumb? Don't you feel like a fucking idiot? You team Cassies, don't you feel fucking insane? How dumb do you feel after that finale? Maddie really said, this bitch needs to be put down. And then she said, hi, Cassie. Let me introduce you to the back of my hand. Oh, and this brick ass wall. A legend, a legend. We love Maddie. And let me just say, by the end of that fight, Cassie looked rough. Maddie, on the other hand, not a nail broken. They were sure to show that. Just a little ass cut on the foot. That's it. And I'm pretty sure that had to do with her nice ass shoes. Nothing to do with Cassie. But I will say when the cunts were being thrown back and forth and like the word, the word, not, yeah, the word. That's when I was like, where are the fucking administrators at Euphoria High or East Highland High? I think it is actually. 
Where is the principal, the dean, the teachers, the faculty, the fucking softball coach? I don't know. Anyone who was approving a penis play as grateful as I am for the cultural reset. Who the fuck is in charge of this nightmare? I remember in high school, I had to change my fucking shorts because they reached exactly the point of my finger when I like laid my arm straight down. That was their guideline. It had to be past your pointer finger and it was right at mine. These bitches put me in dirty, nasty, three times too big, somebody else's drawers, Probably didn't wear fucking underwear basketball shorts. Absolutely not. I'm pretty sure I put my own fucking shorts back on and dipped out a side exit and walked my ass to McDonald's comfortably in my own clothing, which was basically the story of my senior year, to be honest. But that's a that's a different story. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, let us have a moment of silence for Ashtray. I cannot tell you how many people I consoled pre-finale. They'd be like, I don't know, bro. They're gonna kill Ashtray and or Fez, I feel it. And I wholeheartedly was like, no. With my whole chest, I said, Nate, Jacobs, and Elliot are the dead ones for sure. That is that on that. Like, will you stop letting your emotions run rampant, people? You are out of fucking line. You need not worry. Sam Levinson Gould would never do that to us. I am so sorry. I allowed you to let your guard down and I can never be forgiven for that. I think it was probably 10.06 when the messages started rolling in. The yelling at me happened and I would like to issue a formal apology to you as well. I am stating here on the record. Listen to me. Listen to me right now. Don't listen to me about anything. Nothing ever. I know nothing with my theories. I am in left fucking field. I am rabid and feral. Don't listen to me. But yeah, Fezco's house was raided because Custer the Buster was a snitch. That was such a fucking stupid rhyming joke. That wasn't good. Anyway, Ash, being the intuitive little boy he is, knew Custer was playing games. And Miss Cherry, Faye, the icon, redeemed herself. A little too late, but I don't blame her for that. At least she came around at the end when it mattered most. Ultimately, it didn't matter because Ashtray, being the traumatized little boy he is, rather than doing the rational thing, uh, shanked Custer with, I believe, a knife in the neck while Custer was recording, right? And the SWAT team's outside, smart shit. But again, Ashtray's a kid with most likely PTSD and a plethora of other issues, I'm sure. Fez, being the loyal brother he is, was trying to get Ash to go outside with his hands up and Fez would take the fall, but Ashtray wasn't having it. I will say I was hoping Faye would somehow take the fall for this. I had high hopes, I know, I know. The SWAT team banged down the door and Ash, instead of giving himself up, barricaded himself in the bathroom with a bunch of big ass fucking guns, despite Fez's best efforts. When the SWAT team rolls in, Fez is yelling, don't shoot, there's a kid in there, there's a kid in there, continuously over and over and over and over. But then Ash starts firing through the fucking bathroom door and of course SWAT returns the favor. Fez was shot by Ash on accident pretty badly, but I don't think he's dead. 
Then once the SWAT team noticed that Ash stopped shooting, one officer went to go check on him. He was laying on the ground. He said, all clear, he's down. Ashtray rose up from playing dead and was like, nah, motherfucker, not dead yet, and shot him, which then prompted the SWAT team to shoot and kill Ash. All we saw was the lasers, and then it panned to Fez's face as Ash got shot and killed, which I I believe that was probably more heartbreaking than if we actually saw the shooting. When we saw Fez's face, I, I, I melted. I truly have never known heartbreak like that episode. Next season, beyond that, I do believe he will be in prison and maybe him and Lexi will have a relationship that way. I definitely think she will do that for him. They had a really close bond, it seemed. Also, I loved the ending for Rue, the choosing herself path. Oh, finally, girl. The songs that Zendaya and Labyrinth wrote together, specifically the one that Dom Fike sang, oh, so emotional, so moving. And when Rue said to Elliot in that scene when he was singing and playing guitar, like, nah, I don't think we can be friends. It's not good for us. And telling Lexi that the play made her look back on her own life without judgment in a way where she didn't hate herself. And they sort of mended that friendship, at least for the time being. And the moment that I would say was probably most critical for Rue was when she left Jules. Sam Levinson Gould, I have to say Gould at the end now. Sam said it best in the after show. He said it was a goodbye with no hatred or resentment. It was a sweet moment. And I think it was really important that the audience, us as viewers, heard Rue acknowledge that she may not actually have been in love with Jules because she was literally too high to really remember it or have feelings towards it. But she likes to look back on it and think that that was my first love. Overall, I thought this was a great season, and I truly think it could have ended on that note. Maybe if we actually saw, like, Fez locked up and Faye locked up or doing whatever else that they would be doing. Other than that, I feel like we got really good closure. I know they're doing a season three, and I have no clue what that could possibly be or the context of it. Truly, though, I feel like I am happy with that ending. And I started off hating the season. I really was unsure about where this was going to go with all the onset drama and, you know, that HBO wasn't happy with the show. I thought it was going to make this season completely tank. But I think what that will do is it will have more of an effect on season three and what that looks like. One of my friends told me that actually it's going to be three years until the next season, which kind of lines up with what I thought would happen for the next season. I think Barbie and Alexa are out, Kat and Maddie. Barbie had some beef with Sam, if you don't know. She wasn't really vibing with him this season, especially um, with Kat's storyline, and that was significantly cut. Jacob Elordi also had some onset issues as well. He didn't really love Sam's directing style. He said the shoots were miserable, specifically the first episode. So I think in order to add some freshness to the show, we're going to see Rue in a completely new space. Out of high school, most likely a relapse because, hello, the show is Euphoria. Sprinkle in some side plots with Lexi and Fez and a splash of Sue's. Give us more Gia, give us more of the mom and Ali. And that will be just enough to keep the fans loyal and kind of have that sense of uh, that the show didn't change too much while also making it feel new again. Like I mentioned, HBO was allegedly not so happy with the season and rumors have been swirling that more writers will be joining Sam because it is just him. He is the writer. So I don't know what that would look like, but I am obviously very excited for the next chapter of Euphoria. But I would be totally content, totally fine if that was the end of the book. I think it ended beautifully.
Let's move into Love is Blind. All the spoilers ahead. You have been warned. I have never watched Love is Blind. I know this was the second season, uh, but I started with season two. And let's have a clear understanding before I start my shit talking. This is for fun. I enjoyed the entertainment from this show, okay? I'm petty and I like to bitch. That is precisely the reason that I talk to myself into a microphone and throw it out into the internet, into the ether. That's what I'm here for. I do not know these people. I understand that reality shows are heavily edited. I get that. This is just for fun, okay? So don't get your panties in a bunch. But I will say, there is one thing that actually fucking annoyed me about this show. All seriousness, no games. How the fuck are you going to do this show that's about falling in love based on someone's heart and soul and every single one of these motherfuckers is beautiful? Maybe like a sprinkle of someone who's not conventionally beautiful, but not really. They're all very attractive people. I want some uglies. I think that'll make it way more interesting. And obviously beautiful and ugly is subjective. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? That's all I ask. I'll settle for normal looking people, okay? Like I just want to see a chin pimple. I am projecting, by the way. I currently have Mount Vesuvius living rent free on my fucking chin. So that's why I want to see it in television. I want some fucking representation. But seriously, how much more interesting would that be? And so much more heartwarming. The only people I liked on this show were Deep D and Kyle. But Deep D, I didn't fully love her until the end. She made me really proud. And then it allowed me to look back at the entire season in retrospect and was like, oh, she be no one. She isn't a dumb girl. She knew the whole time that Shake is an asshole. And Kyle, who was the uh, atheist that was with Shayna, the religious one, he was cool to me. I think he was quite superficial. You know, I'm not saying any of these people are good people. This is just a really low bar. I believe for the most part, these are all inherently bad people, dating wise at least. The worst of the worst though was Danielle. I was second guessing how you thought about me because you didn't want to talk about how much my family loved you. You complained about your friends right away and I was like, okay, so if all he wants to talk about his friends, does he actually like, like me for the right reasons? There were things that popped up in the day yesterday with my family and with my friends that were hard. That were- The day of meeting my family. I know it was selfish to like bring it up when we had just met your family, but it was just on my mind. And I'm very sorry that I ruined what was, I know, a very important day to you and also me because this matters to me. I understand why she probably is the way she is. She seemed to have a lot of trauma that she said she was unpacking during the show. I believe she mentioned that on Instagram or something. And she's very open about her mental health, which is fantastic. We love that. And again, I'm fully aware that this is a show that's full of the highlights and the lowlights of these people. But in my opinion, Danielle was just so manipulative and a master at gaslighting. Well, not the master. We have another master of this show at gaslighting. <laughs> but she was pretty fucking close. I forget her partner's name. I think maybe Nick. He cracked me the fuck up with his buy five, get five free old Navy printed short sleeve camp shirts. Okay. What a fucking legend. I will say though, speaking of Nick, I hope his name is Nick because I'm just going to call him Nick. I had a moment with Danielle where I felt like we were kindred spirits in one way. And that was when she pulled out a hot dog costume and an air guitar and her closet. Mine isn't as messy. My mess usually ends up on a chair. I'm a bit more organized than that. Nick's reaction to her living quarters was absolutely amazing. Nick kind of reminds me of like the cleanly adult 
mature angel that sits on my left shoulder. And Danielle is the devil on my right shoulder that plays rock band and throws back salt and vinegar chips and forget time is real. You know, that vibe. I found Nick to be cringe at first, but by the end, I was like, this is a man with patience and understanding beyond measure. I have respect for him. I do not know how the fuck, why the fuck these two got actually married. I cannot wait for the reunion episode that drops this week, I think, March 4th. I don't know when this episode's coming up. Next couple, Kyle and Shayna. Like I said, I think Kyle was pretty superficial. He seemed more concerned with her looks than the red flags that she was throwing out there. I personally don't identify with Shayna, specifically in the religiosity of it all, but that doesn't matter. What the critical part is, even if we don't relate to the religiousness of Shayna, I don't know if that's a word, if it were a variable, let's say X equals a plain cheese pizza that Shayna finds very important. Pizza is very important to Shayna. She only likes her plain cheese pizza. And Kyle was like, nah, I only eat pineapple and ham. That's a fucking problem. Doesn't matter how juvenile we think the problem is, still a major fucking problem. And Shayna knew that going into it. And she said yes when he proposed. We all saw she didn't want to say yes. Oh my God, I was so relieved when that relationship ended. He can find someone that will appreciate him and she can find someone to lead her with Christ as she said she wanted. From Shayna to Shane. <laughs> I would say in the Olympics of gaslighting, Danielle is the bronze, Shane is the silver, and Shane gets the fucking gold. When he was in that pod and he didn't know who he was talking to and Natalie walked in and he assumed it was Shayna because she was like, guess who it is or you know who. And he's like, oh, Shayna, I've been wanting to talk to you. What are you wearing? And Natalie was like, uh, what? Hello? Hi. Who am I talking to? I don't know. Take a guess. No, oh, Shayna, there we go. What? Oh, that's what I was hoping for. What are you wearing over there? Hello? It's Natalie. Like, you, you, do you think I'm a dick or what? Listen, if you think I'm a dick, I, I feel like that's kind of weird, no offense. I just like feel like a little bit like led on. For real? Yeah, kind of. How so? If you want to explore another connection, then don't talk about like what we're gonna do in Chicago and like all this stuff. Don't say that. Okay, so so I'm gonna be honest with you then, okay? Because I, I'm trying to give everyone an open mind like going into like, our conversations. I don't ever want to make you feel bad, but I'm here to like try to like find my wife. And it's like, I'm giving everything I have to it. And I'm a very passionate person. I have to talk to other people. I was just hurt because I've been very clear that I have like strong feelings for you and clearly you had feelings for her and that's fine. But like, don't lead me on and just like be I'm really honest in terms of- Like I'm not trying to lead you on whatsoever. This is not fair. It's not fair at all. Okay? Can I just like I'm finish? I'm put in this I position. Just... It's, it, it, it's, it's like, this is not normal what we're going through. Why am I getting like, I guess like beat up out? It's like, this is a whole experience. And I don't want to make you feel like you're being beat up. Like I, I'm not trying to come after you at all. I'm just trying to understand truly. Like, I don't want you to be like mad or frustrated about this. I'm very frustrated like... because I, I can't, I don't know how much more reassurance I can give you. What I'm trying to figure out is if you think this is going anywhere. If this little hiccup is like that big of a deal and like that changes everything, then like maybe this is not what we thought it was, I guess. I know, gaslight, gaslight, gas. That's all we fucking hear, right? No. 
This was gaslighting. He said, if you're upset by this, that's really weird. No, 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 no. That isn't fucking weird. I'm pretty sure Natalie was his girlfriend at this time. Natalie has a very valid point to be upset by that. Very valid. Because at that point, he was like, yeah, you're my number one. And I understand in normal world scenarios, after like, I don't know, how long did these people know each other? Five, six days at this point. It's not that serious when someone's like, you're my number one, Uh," you know? But this is love is blind world. And they were taking this very, very, seriously like marriage at the end of this seriously you kind of have to put that into perspective this motherfucker really said if you're mad that's weird if this is what breaks up our love then maybe our love wasn't real at all and Natalie was genuinely just like can I just explain can I just tell you why I'm upset and he walks out he walks out like the big fucking baby back bitch that he is I can't stand Shane. I can't. I've known too many Shanes in my life. The goofy, uh, I'm outgoing. I'm a fun guy. My fucking gums are bigger than my teeth. Uh." (laughs) And then there was the scene in Mexico where they were like in this cabana thing. And I can't remember what the conversation consisted of completely. But he was joking, like laughing and said, oh, I'm so pretty. And Natalie was like, no, you're not. Like just fucking poking fun, like being sarcastic. And he freaked out. He's like, I'm just trying to have a fucking conversation with you. Why are you going to like, bro, simmer the fuck down. She's joking with you. She has stated time and time again. Oh, my God. China's so hot. Chill the fuck out. Just a needy little douche. And the two, honestly, I think they put up a front that made them seem a lot happier than they were. It was so weird. Everyone's like, Natalie and Shane. Oh my God, they're so good together. So amazing. It felt a lot like high school, to be honest. Very cringe, very triggering. And Natalie was obnoxious in much, much, much less severe ways. Mainly she put up with Shane and didn't put him in his fucking place, which I believe is what you're supposed to do when you're talking to someone who gaslights. Personally, I think I do the wrong thing. I like to make someone who gaslights me feel dumb as fuck or just completely ignore them. I don't try to have a conversation with a child. I just don't do it. Like you're a fucking man baby and you want me to calmly talk to you when you fucking march your ass off into a temper tantrum every time you don't get your way in a conversation. Every time you fucking embarrass yourself and look like the bad guy, you have to be the fucking victim. Wah, wah, baby, wah, wah. I really don't like Shay, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) Ayana and Jarrett. I don't know, man. I did really like Ayana. She seemed really pure, but she was so insecure and had major trust issues, which is totally understandable. I get that she had an issue with sexual assault and people that have abandoned her, like with her family. I get that. But those issues, regardless that they were valid, issues manifested in kind of a toxic way at times. I would have felt like absolute shit knowing Jared proposed to Mallory first or asked Mallory what she would do if he proposed, which is essentially the same thing to me. Being second fiddle when the other person is your entire orchestra is not fucking fun. So knowing that Jared made Ayana feel that way really made me feel off about him. 
Then this motherfucker had the nerve to approach Mallory at the bar in Mexico with, I believe, tequila, I would imagine, being flown around. And he said all that he said. Very flirtatious, the two of them. And he was like, your ring is silver. I would have got you gold because I asked. Like, let's fucking not, bro. Like, it doesn't matter. She's got a ring from Sal. You have Ayana. Like, what the fuck is the issue? Knowing how fragile your fiance is, knowing she felt insecure secure about being a second choice to Mallory you went and did that unacceptable how dare you Jarrett if I can be honest and just give you my intuition based opinion he seems like a bunch of fucking Pinterest quotes rolled into a human he says all the right things but they feel very empty like he could say all of those things to any girl on the assembly line there was just something about him that I didn't feel was genuine but by the end I do think that they made a fun couple and they had a genuine love theirs definitely looked like the most fun and the most real to be honest I do hope they're doing good but I don't think Jarrett wanted to stop going out and you know compromising and honestly I don't even fault him for that I'm very similar to Ayana like nah I'm good on going out 99% of the time even people I love kind of suck the energy out of me so you know it's not their fault it's just how I'm wired I'm a rare breed of being extremely introverted and extremely outgoing which I know the two sound like polar opposites like you can't be both at the same time but I don't like people I'd rather just not interact with people I like animals <laughs> but if I have to interact with people I'm a good fucking time so I get Ayana I get that she's like I want to be home and read my books and just chill but I do feel like it's weird to tell your partner who you know is extroverted and likes to party and be social to stay home with you all the time I think if it bothers you that much and you you really want someone who is introverted that means a lot to you then that's totally fair too there's nothing wrong with either of their personalities in that vein but it really seemed to bother her that he was extremely social you can't tell someone what they can and can't do for fun as long as it's legal you know <laughs> you just can't do that if it's not something you can compromise on then that's what incompatibility is to me why should Ayana compromise her comfort level and why why should Jarrett compromise something that makes him really happy? Neither are wrong for what they want, but if she is forcing him to stay home, he's gonna resent her. That isn't the way to go in my opinion, and that like just makes your partner feel bad and like they're trapped in a cage. Mallory and Sal. Ooh, I didn't like Mallory. I think she's kind of snakish after what happened at the bar. I don't care how people want to spin it like, oh, you know, neither of them meant it. I don't care. I'm also confused. Like, did she not think to herself, damn, at some point Sal is going to see all this shit I talked on TV? I was thinking about that for everyone, too. Like, imagine fucking Natalie's parents watching Shane moan in Shayna's outfits. Like, oh, what are you wearing? Oh, you're in a crop top that's so fucking hot. Uh. But Mallory, girl, first of all, fix your face. We could all see when you saw Sal, you were like, huh? what <laughs> you know I saw it and then at the end she's like I don't know he's like just not physically like I don't there's nothing wrong with him he's just not attractive <laughs> like he's gonna watch that back I'm very attracted to him emotionally but physically like I, I don't really I don't know. I mean, there's no like, there's nothing wrong with him. To be fair, I don't think Mallory was overreactive with some of the shit that went down with Sal. Like that little fight they had about an ex Sal had. 
Sal made it seem very chill, like their relationship meant nothing. It was just easy breezy. But this girl met your sisters and knew where they lived and was that distraught? Nah, something's suspicious. Something's not right. I think Mallory was in the right to ask questions there. And I will say I was shook when Sal said no. Finally, we have Deep D and Shake. And let me just say right off the bat that Deep D is a fucking bad bitch. She is so self-assured, so confident, so mature, but also is so much fun. She can goof around and be super cool. And I was really confused up until the end because they didn't tell us any of this. They made it seem like she was just desperate, I guess, and settling and okay with settling for Shake. Because he was going around to anyone that would listen saying, oh, she's so perfect on paper and she's so amazing and we have such an emotional connection, but I don't want to fuck her. She's like my aunt. And he said essentially the same thing to Deep D, but in a much more sugar-coated way. How fucking humiliating though. How can you claim to be so emotionally invested in someone and care and love someone so much and humiliate the fuck out of them like that? And also asking girls in the pods, in this experiment that's about love being blind and not about the physical nature, if he would be able to lift them up on his shoulders, basically asking them if they were fat. Would you like working out? I get along best with individuals that do work out. How old are you? 33. I prefer dating younger. How old are you? I'm 32. I love buying clothes for girls. Yeah, what's your size? My serious relationships, mm -hmm. they've all been blonde. If we were to be at a music festival, do you like being on a guy's shoulders? Yeah, you're up for the challenge, you can pick me up. <laughs> yeah but um, will I have trouble picking you up? I'm sorry, what? He is a fucking piece of work, honestly. What a fucking tool bag. He was funny as shit, but not laughing with him. I think we were all laughing at him. <laughs> he can go back to his little blonde girls that he can throw up on his shoulders. They have worked so well for him in the past, apparently, and he can be happy with that. Deep D's gonna get a count or a prince that will light her shit up the way she deserves. This show, overall, it was a lot of fun. It's mindless watching like a diet Love Island, except Love Island has like the polar opposite mission than this does. It's very clearly superficial. They have like tit splash dates and dick tilt a whirl challenges. It's all great though. It's good fun to binge and even more fun to talk shit. We are moving on to the Oscars, folks. We need to discuss these nominees. I know award shows are fucking shit and fake and stupid, but it's still fucking annoying, okay? If you know how I feel about Don't Look Up, if you know, you know. But if you don't know how I feel about the film Don't Look Up, uh... How do I put this in short? It's one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Truly, I feel like I'm on a fucking island for thinking this. I feel like everyone loves it. I don't get it. Adam McKay, I think, has a fat wallet and he wooed everyone in the Academy. I think it was absolute bullshit that it was nominated for Best Picture, but alas, it is. The other nominees are Nightmare Alley, Dune, Drive My Car, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, the Power of the Dog, West Side Story from 2021, obviously, King Richard, and Coda. Now, I have only seen Dune, Don't Look Up, The Power of the Dog, and What I Could Stand of West Side Story. 
Dune was great, but I definitely think there were better choices for a Best Picture nomination. Side note, I don't understand this. Why are Best Picture nominations so fucking long? That was my first thought when I put on Power of the Dog, which is streaming on Netflix if you'd like to see it, but you you don't want to. This movie takes place in Montana in the 1920s, and in all fairness, this time period is particularly boring to me. Cowboys are cringe. I can't get over the chaps and the fringe and the vests and the chewing hay. I don't like any of it. I just can't. That being said, this was such a fucking boring movie. I don't understand. How does a film have no plot? The entire experience was like eating boiled, unseasoned chicken. Literally nothing happens. And it has 12 nominations. Am I fucking missing something here? Please tell me if I'm crazy, if you've seen this movie and like, I know the message behind it. So, but shut up. Like a message isn't what gets you nominated. Okay. There are different categories for a reason. The category isn't best message, best, you know, thought behind a film that wasn't actually translated well. That, that, that's not a category. Okay. This is best picture. 12 fucking nominations for what? I got a migraine watching this. And as I said, the message was great behind it. I agree with the message. But to be honest, I didn't know what the message fucking was until I looked up, why does everyone love this movie? Like I had to know reviews. I had to know what I was missing. It wasn't going to change my mind, but I would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get that. I could see why this, no, no, no. The whole idea behind it is like toxic masculinity, more specifically how damaging it is for men to think that they have to be the stereotypical societal uh, idea of masculinity, like tough and the creator said, you know, it something along the lines of how toxic it can be. She compared it to like a Trump, essentially. So do with that information what you will. I agree with the message. I think that, you know, when you think of toxic masculinity, a lot of guys roll their eyes, but I'm like, bruh, it affects you the most. Like you are okay with society putting these stupid pressures on you. Like it's okay to fucking cry. You don't have to fucking turn red and punch a wall to be a man. There is no emotional state that makes you more masculine or more feminine. It's just fucking stupid. So I fully support the message. I do. But the vehicle in which it was given to us was horrible. And that was just because I looked it up. I mean, maybe you could get the message from it. You're probably smarter than I am. But I was trying. I was really, really trying. I don't understand the Oscars. How does the power of the fucking dog get 12 nominations and Macbeth got three? We will get to that. Don't worry. But yeah, this was yet another boring, too long Western that had shit for storytelling. West Side Story, it's not my cup of tea, not at all, but I think it's cool that a musical's nominated, so I'm not going to knock it. It looked really beautiful from the trailer and from the little bits of what I could stand to watch. It just wasn't enjoyable for me. There are very few musicals that I like as a movie. I love going to see plays that are musicals, but I don't want to sit on my couch and watch Jesus Christ Superstar. You know what I mean? What I want to watch next is King Richard and Nightmare Alley. I do want to see those. I have to be honest, though. I, I have to share some serious childhood trauma. There were three movies specifically that I watched during my childhood that gave me my first whiff of existential dread. One was I Am Legend. Two was The Pursuit of Happiness. And three was I, Robot significantly traumatizing films. So when I see Will Smith in a movie 
I automatically flinch. Nothing against Will Smith. He's a fantastic actor. He did great in all of those movies. He's a fucking legend. Love him. Parents just don't understand. I know. But I can't. It's like, ooh, no. Will Smith as an actor equals pain because of the movies. King Richard is about Venus and Serena Williams' dad. So I have no doubt it will be a heavy film because he's a he's a rough around the edges kind of guy. He reminds me a lot of, um, what's his name? Timothy Knowles, is it? Or, uh, uh what's his Michael Jackson's dad too like really let's push our kids to be better in a way that's probably not great for them kind of like a pageant mom but on steroids but I feel like it'll be good despite it being heavy will it add to my Will Smith trauma stay tuned Nightmare Alley looks kind of cool I respect the shit out of Guillermo even though he shot a fucking nuke into my brain with the shape of water I hate that movie so fucking much another one I just don't understand I am so not as intellectual as I think I am with movies. I am to myself. I'm like, no, I take movies really seriously. I find joy out of breaking them down. But I don't know what makes a great movie great to the Academy. Money? I don't know. But The Shape of Water, was it? The Power of the Dog, is it? Okay. Coda, I feel like I've seen 900 times before in every Oscar-nominated film ever for Best Picture. It looks like every emotional, beautiful story with a really dark, edgy filter on it that is nominated every year. It's based on a true story, I believe, so I feel kind of bad saying like, nah, I'm okay, I don't need to see it. You know, I've seen it a million times, but like, I've seen it a million times. I'll probably watch it, even though I was bored watching the trailer. It's fine. Drive My Car, I don't feel one way or the other about, but I'm not completely opposed to watching it, but and it's not at the top of my list. Licorice Pizza. Now, I may be wrong, so I apologize if I'm spreading rumors or speaking out of turn, but this film is about a 25-year-old woman having a relationship with a 15-year-old boy, correct? A romantic relationship. That's what it's about, right? Okay. The topic of statutory rape never comes up in this film. It's never looked at as something that's bad or harmful or traumatizing for the child involved. No, 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 no. This is called a coming of age story. I'm sorry? This was nominated several fucking times for an Oscar. Could you imagine if this was about a 25-year-old man having a romantic relationship with a 15-year-old girl? Children are children regardless of their sex. Like, what are you doing? And I'm not just bitching to bitch. I'm not. This is black and white statutory rape. Clear as day. I'm not one to clutch my pearls, trust me, I really am not, but I think it's a really fucking interesting look at society and what people actually give a shit about. The fact that there isn't an uproar about this film, but if it was the other way around, what? This film would have been pulled. It wouldn't have been nominated for a fucking Oscar. Are you kidding me? I don't have a desire to watch it, if I'm being honest. It looked stupid anyway, all of the statutory rape aside. Uh, But also, I kind of have this small piece of me that feels like it's unfair to complain about it if I haven't seen it. But also, 99% of me is like, nah, it's literally in the summary of the film. It's not like they're hiding it. So yeah, I have a right to bitch. Uh, Belfast, moving on to Belfast. Wasn't this nominated last year? Wasn't this the movie with Mads Mikkelsen? Am I thinking of something else? 
I feel like the Oscars is a fucking groundhog day of depressing films shot with one of those pro mist filters making it look fucking gloomy and dark all the time. That's what I feel like it is. I'm sorry if that's not the film I'm thinking of. Obviously it isn't. I have no interest in watching Belfast. Moving on to the best actors. I'm not going to go over every single nomination situation. Just the main beats. The best actor nominations were Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cucumber, The Power of the Dog, Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos, Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Will Smith for King Richard. I cannot with Tick Tick Boom. I I have tried, guys. I have tried. Like I said, I don't love musicals, but this, I really wanted to give it a shot. I did because everyone loved it. I tried this multiple times. I got through it after weeks of moseying. I would watch 10 minutes and then I'd be like, I can't, I can't watch anymore. I can't watch anymore. And then I'd go back to it and watch another 10 minutes and then maybe a half hour. And then I'd be like, I can't do this anymore. And then I'd go back and watch another 10 minutes on another day or 20 minutes. But I pushed through. Lin-Manuel Miranda music is starting to feel like that time back in what was it like 2012 when we were all obsessed with the Illuminati and we would listen to single ladies and dark horse backwards and hear demonic messages. Kind of like the Led Zeppelin shit too. That was like where it all began. I feel like if we play We Don't Talk About Bruno Backwards, Satan himself would speak to me right in my fucking ear. Same thing with that stupid Tick Tick Boom song. I don't know the name, but Vanessa Hudgens is in it and she sounds unironically like Minnie Mouse and he sounds like Donald Duck. Really fucking stupid song. I actually thought Andrew Garfield should have been nominated, but for his role in the eyes of Tammy Faye, that movie was absolutely superb. Didn't get enough love. I know Jessica Chastain got a nod for Best Actress. I think that was the only nomination, but that was very well deserved. We'll get to that after. The Eyes of Tammy Faye, though, that was an amazing movie. It was extremely long, but extremely captivating. I didn't want it to end. See, when a movie is good and it's long, it's not a chore to watch it. There was nothing moving or compelling about Benedict Cucumber's performance in Power of the Dog. I'm sorry. He just plays an asshole who fucking beats horses. He's dull as shit, just like the rest of the characters. And I believe someone is nominated in every category for Best Actor, Actress, Supporting, yada, yada, yada from this movie. None of them truly deserving, in my opinion. Each one was just as flat and boring as the rest. I think Frances McDormand and Ruth Nega or Tessa Thompson could have easily and rightfully slid into the places of those nominated. Even one of the supporting casts from Macbeth could have been easily nominated in a supporting actor category. Anyone really, like, pick a fucking movie. Simon Levive, the Tinder swindler, could win over Benedict Cucumber. Javier Bardem, I talked about in my uh, best of 2021 podcast. He's rightfully nominated, I think. He did an absolutely fantastic performance. Honestly, no one could have done it like him. I don't think there's anything wrong with him being nominated at all. I think it's well-deserved. Now we need to talk about the winner of this category. He will win. And if he doesn't, then I, I, I don't know. I can't comprehend that because I just don't see a world where Denzel Washington does not get an Oscar for his performance in the tragedy of Macbeth. And Will Smith, before I get into Denzel, I didn't see it, so I don't know. I'm sure he did amazing. But back to Denzel. Let me start with the movie as a whole, The Tragedy of Macbeth. I don't think I have ever seen a more beautiful film in my life. I really can't think of anything that comes 
even remotely close. The only movie I think of is Mother. And I don't think that was as good of a movie. I love that movie. I know a lot of people dislike it. I brought a fucking notebook and a pen to the movie theater when I saw that. Knowing full well I couldn't write in the theater, but I just wanted the option if I needed to write something down. But I just soaked up that movie and loved every second of it. I thought it was stunning. It doesn't come close. It doesn't. But it's it's beautiful. It's in the same realm, I guess you could say. They filmed this entirely on a soundstage. And they did that to make it feel otherworldly and disconnected from reality, which Mission fucking accomplished. This movie was striking. It was haunting and at times terrifying, but absolutely beautiful. It visually evokes all of the emotions in Macbeth perfectly. The Weird Sisters, which they are my favorite part of Macbeth. They're, as a trio, probably one of my favorite characters of all time. I kind of lump them as a character, even though they're three sisters. What they did with those characters, uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. If you don't know, the Weird Sisters are witches and they're very creepy, I guess, for a lack of a better word. They speak in these confusing, contradicting, cryptic poems. And Catherine Hunter did an unbelievable job as the witches. She also played Mrs. Fig in Harry Potter. So bonus points there. Please describe the attack. What did they look like? Well, one of them was very large and the other rather skinny. (laughs) And this was definitely a little Harry Potter reunion. I noticed they had Mad-Eye and Dudley in this as well. So that was very cool to see. Now we're going to talk about Denzel himself. I don't know how many times I can say perfect honestly, before you get bored of it. But I'm going to say the word perfect a lot. I'm going to try to hold back and find synonyms, but perfection is what I'm trying to say. Macbeth is a character that's introduced to us as this noble war hero, right? Which he is. He is a noble war hero, but he is also his ambitions and his ambitions directly contradict what others think of him. Even when he's overcome with this fucking ambition that he has, a crazy toxic ambition, by the way, not the good healthy kind. It's to the point where he is just about to commit murder. He's delusional and he also feels guilt. So you have to be two very different characters rolled into one. You have to be the strong, heroic war hero, but also this guilt-ridden, weak, fragile human being as well. It's a constant fight between his conscience and his ambition. And as the play develops, he grows hungrier and hungrier for this power. And it drives him crazy. And he wants more and more and more information about his future, about his destiny. So he becomes obsessed with these witches and everything that they're saying. So he listens to the witches' contradictory, cryptic poems that are meant to be prophecies, and he takes them literally to the point where he believes that he is invincible. I'm sorry if this is spoiling a play that was written in 1623, but like, I I don't know what to tell you. I'll keep the spoilers light, I guess. What I'm trying to say is the character of Macbeth is a lot to portray, especially with body language and like physicality on top of delivering very complicated lines. I always recommend subtitles for a film that uses true Shakespearean language. It is very helpful. Sometimes when you're just listening to Shakespeare, it's very easy to zone out because the language is wild. It's so wild. But with Denzel, I was blown away. 
blown away. His delivery was melodic and powerful and I was completely pulled in. I never felt like the language was over my head. His facial expressions and body language and delivery and tone, all of it, all of it was just so engaging. The word again is perfect. It's just perfect. I highly recommend checking out this film. Even if you aren't a fan of Shakespeare, please give it a shot. Like this is Denzel Washington. Come on. At least watch it until he comes onto the screen and delivers a few of his lines. I really think more people would enjoy it than they think. This is another film that will definitely be on my best of 2022 list and probably up there for my favorite films of all time. Honestly, like this was so, so fucking good. I don't know what is in the water if Denzel doesn't win best actor. I truly don't know. it's one of the greatest performances of all time. He graced us with his gift and he needs to be rewarded with his little gold man. I knew he was talented. I knew he was fantastic. I know he's gifted. I know he's won an Oscar before. This movie really solidified his talent for me because this is a hard fucking role. Moving on to Best Actresses, the nominees are Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Kristen Stewart for Spencer, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. I'm not super mad at these nominees, but like, where's Jennifer Hudson? I don't, I am confused. I think that she could have easily taken the place of Kristen Stewart. In my personal opinion, as I said earlier, Jessica Chastain, she had an unbelievable performance in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Nicole Kidman was incredible as Lucille Ball, another hard character to play. She really had to balance that quirky, fun, outrageous Lucy with all of that physical comedy and perfect comedic timing. And Lucille, the intelligent and serious woman who is sure of what she wants and has a very clear vision of it. It was a lot. So I think Nicole did well with that performance. I haven't seen Parallel Mothers or The Lost Daughter, so I can't speak to Olivia Coleman and Penelope Cruz, but, you know, they're on my watch list. Now let's talk about Kristen Stewart. I am, if you did not know, the head of the Twilight fan club. I am someone who listens to Let Me Sign and Decode on repeat. I sing that ha 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 into the woods whenever it rains. That kind of sounded like Prima Donna Girl. That is not the song that I'm referring to. Now I have to play it so you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know I sing it a lot better. I know, I know. But just in case you needed more context. I'm a big Kristen Stewart fan. I like her vibe. I like her style. I like her. I think she's a great actress. But Spencer, um, in a word, nay, 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 in three words, mind-numbingly boring. I couldn't even finish. I, I truly read all the hype for this, and I think this was the movie I was most excited about for Oscar nominations wise, because everyone was saying how this was going to sweep the Oscars. This was going to be amazing. Kristen Stewart was going to dominate. There were several articles that were written specifically about how hard Kristen Stewart worked to perfect Princess Diana's accent and how she knocked it out of the park. That was before the film came out. Now, I am an uncultured American. I know only that Diana is that bitch, that princess bitch. I've watched The Crown. I know what the fuck is up at the bare minimum. I know she wore mom jeans and had perfectly feathered hair that would make these TikTok gals quake. And that's really it. But in my unprofessional, stupid American opinion, 
She sounds like me trying to talk like Princess Diana, okay? And let me tell you, my accent attempts are yuck. Aside from that, the performance was okay. I thought she did all right. But again, it was so boring. I couldn't get through it. I really couldn't. I'll probably try again. But what the fuck is the point? I have so many things to watch. Why am I going to watch something that's boring? Why? I did that with The Power of the Dog. I tried. I was like, this has 12 nominations. I have to see where the hype is. I was waiting for it. Something climactic to happen. Anything. I was so excited to watch Spencer, but I tapped out right around Christmas. Wasn't worth it for me. Some other notable nominations were Encanto, which I know that if that doesn't win Best Animated Film, several folks under the age of nine will personally burn down the Dolby Cinema and make sure that the 94th Academy Awards will be the last. J.K. Simmons was nominated for Supporting Actor and Being the Ricardos. He was a dickhead. He played it well with his cute little pot belly. So I thought that he was pretty great. Visual effects, shout out to Spider-Man and Shang-Chi, also Dune. All the nominations for that did seem fitting. I do wonder why the director of Dune wasn't nominated for Best Director. Like, how are you nominated for Best Picture, but not Best Director? I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. For non-nominees, I thought for Best Director or even Cinematography, Where the fuck was passing? Where was it? Costume design, score, fucking anything. Same thing with Macbeth, all right? Passing and Macbeth, I feel the same way about. They just happen to be black and white films, both of them. And let me tell you something. I don't particularly like black and white films. I think I'm starting to change my mind on that because a lot of movies that I think are absolutely amazing are in black and white. So perhaps getting older changes your taste in cinema. But really, any of these categories, Passing and Macbeth, could have won. I think both of these films could have swept the Oscars. A rare crossroads of a typical Oscar darling film and actually being interesting. And they decided, nah, we'll either skip it all together or we'll give it three little lazy nominations. Now let me tell you what I am happy not to see nominated. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. If you are an Arianator or whatever the Ariana Grande fans call themselves, or a fan of Kid Cudi. I like both of them, but people were losing their fucking mind when Don't Look Up or whatever the fucking song was that they sang in that movie wasn't nominated. I'm sorry? Did we watch the same film? Did we hear the same song? I would rather listen to We Don't Talk About Bruno on repeat for the rest of my fucking life in the afterlife and beyond than listen to that Don't Look Up song one more time. Garbaggio, my friend. I haven't even seen this movie, and I know how you all stand House of Gucci. I know, but I fucking snickered when they snubbed the shit out of that movie. I haven't seen it. I'm the ultimate petty hater. Fuck it. I don't care. I snickered. I hate, hate, hate the previews for it. And the fact that everyone was saying House of Gucci is going to win everything. Incredible. Hilarious. But yeah, those are my cute little thoughts on the Oscars. Moving on to more shit that I watched, Pam and Tommy. I won't give any crazy spoilers because if you haven't seen this, I really want you to watch it. It's so beyond good. It's on Hulu or Disney. That's so fucking odd to say, depending on what country you're in. The show was everything I wanted it to be and more. It's absolutely hilarious and it has these moments of satirical madness that are just genius. 
the actress who plays Pam, who I think her name is Lily James. I could be mistaken. This woman was fucking dedicated to the role. She wore forehead prosthetics and obviously like chest prosthetics because Pam had that iconic, unattainable, unnatural figure. But Lily James still needed the Baywatch belly, right? So she's already a fit girl, but she did 600 fucking crunches a day to prepare for this role. That's what she says anyway. I don't know how you could not be permanently in the shape of a V after 600 crunches in one day. I, um, no. Good for you though, Lily James. She killed the role. I was blown away. Sebastian Stan perfectly embodied that wild child, dickhead, washed up rock star. That sounds really harsh, but it's the truth. And they kind of show that. Obviously, Tommy Lee will forever be an icon in rock, but he wasn't what was hot anymore. Nobody cared about Motley Crue. I thought the story of their romance, specifically how they got together, was dramatized. Uh, no, it was all real. You feel their wild energy and impulsivity and their stress, and you feel the awkwardness in parts of the relationship due to how they got together. Seth Rogen was also hilarious, and you really do root for him, which is so weird. They do a great job at making you think that he is entitled to everything that he got, and he had cause for everything that he did. And it was all just, which was crazy because later in the series, I still felt that, but I was also like, oh no, Pammy, no, this isn't, no, I don't want this for you. She didn't deserve this. Also, Nick Offerman, who's in this as well, plays literally the same person in everything, just in a different setting. And I love it. I'm here for it. I have a feeling this will also be on my 2022 favorites list. I literally started a note on my phone after watching one episode of this so I could be prepared for this year's. And it's March. OK, so I have a good feeling. The next title I watched was the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. I went in with relatively low expectations, but was still excited. I don't know if that makes sense. But regardless, no spoilers, by the way, this was wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. The characters were wicked annoying, so seeing them get killed was awesome. And the kills are such a good time. They are absolutely insane. And no, the fact that people get killed is not a spoiler. You know people will die in the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, okay? I'm not saying who or what or when or even how or why. I'm saying it's a good time to watch it happen. Fun kills, they showed everything, and there are so many awesome nods to the OG film. Honestly, I don't think I could have dreamt up a better way for this film to be spun with this premise. And the ending, the ending, brava, the balls, the balls on the writing team, whoever came up with that idea. I was pleasantly surprised. It looked beautiful. The setting was dope. The ending was perfection. What a great movie. Highly recommend. Next up is The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, which of course is on Disney+. Plus. I wasn't sure when this would take place, like timeline wise, like how old Penny would be if she's an adult. But I love what they did with it. The opening was great because it put us right back where the original left off. There's Oscar making his proud snacks, Trudy expanding her veterinarian business, Bobby and his microphone. The first episode is really, really cute. And the beats of the show really reminded me of my era of Disney. It's like the same vibe as the original. 
I loved it. And it's really cool that I can share it with my younger siblings who are the same age I was when I watched the original. And they'll experience the same magic that I did. A really great watch, especially if you have younger family members, you can all watch it together. I think I want to get Marry Me out of the way next. I've been putting it off. I didn't want to talk about it, but I got to talk about Marry Me. Yeah, spoilers, by the way. Basically, the film is reflecting the social media and fame obsessed world that we live in and like the superficiality of it, all all that. J-Lo looked hot yet again. She looks gorgeous. She is a true performer. No tea, no shade. She's a singer, but she's not a singer. Okay, (laughs) she's a performer and that's no hate. All right. I love some J-Lo, some Jenny from the block, but we know J-Lo. She doesn't sing the majority of the majority of her hits. Not the chorus anyway. I'm Real was an Ashanti song. She wrote it, sang the chorus and added the ad lib. Same thing for Ain't It Funny. There was also a version where you hear Shailene Thomas instead of J-Lo or Ashanti on the chorus. All I have was a combination of two songs. She had the sample of Deborah Law, the very special sample. And then the singer was, uh, it was like an up and coming singer at uh, Rock Nation. And she wrote Unfaithful and Deja Vu. So between the singer from Rock Nation and the sample, J-Lo wasn't heard. Play is the most obvious one to me. That's Christina Milian all over the chorus. Love Don't Cost a Thing. Again, we don't know for sure. We think it's Canela Cox, who was another up-and-coming singer. Shawnayette Harrell sang the entire chorus of If You Had My Love. The demo for Jenny on the Block got leaked, and we found out it was a girl named Natasha Ramos, who sounds pretty similar to J-Lo, just like an elevated singing version. And then she had a new song. I forget the name, but it's Brandy, like all over the song. You just hear Brandy. Just one of my many tangent folks. And again, don't get mad. Like, people get so defensive. I love J-Lo. We can love J-Lo, but facts are facts. I don't know what to tell you. She didn't sing the chorus on her songs. But that doesn't take away from J-Lo being an iconic performer. Okay, Selena, her Vegas tour. We've seen her dance. We've seen her perform. She's how old and she was on a stripper pole and Hustlers killing it. She's an icon no matter what. Back to Marry Me. Owen Wilson was exactly what you'd expect from Owen Wilson. Like, he's Owen Wilson, so that was whatever. Sarah Silverman she's just the worst. I hate Sarah Silverman. So I, I really, I got what Sarah Silverman could give and I took only what I could take. And that's that on that. My thoughts overall on the movie, I saw it all. Like literally the entire movie was in that fucking 10 minute trailer. They blasted that shit everywhere, everywhere as if this was the movie to see. The trailer literally had every beat of the movie. I, I don't understand when movies do that. It was such a corn fest. It was every cliche in the book. And I knew that going into it. I wasn't expecting some amazing film. But I at least was expecting, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. I thought that there'd be things in it other than what was in the trailer. I wouldn't even throw this on for like a girl's night. Like this isn't fun. This isn't a fun sleepover girl's night movie. This is nothing. It's also really long. Like, I wasn't expecting this to be two fucking hours of my life flushed down the toilet. This would have been fine in a 90-minute format. In a Hallmark film format, that would have been A-fucking-okay. This has a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 92% audience score? What the fuck? I'm clearly the one without any fucking taste. I have asked for taste. Let's look at 60%. What else has a fucking 60% for comparison purposes? Let's let's see here. Hold on. No, 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 no. 300. 
300 has the same fucking rating as Marry Me? What? American Pie saved? Fantastic movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, it's the one with Macaulay Culkin and Mandy Moore. Amazing movie. Highly recommend. No. The Black Cauldron? Hell no. Nope. No. No. The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea? No, no, no. With Miss Melody and Miss Morgana? Nope. 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 Fuck this. This is now personal. You think the greatest Disney sequel of all, mm, Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. That was, that's probably the greatest Disney sequel of all time. But you think close second for a greatest Disney sequel of all time is the same caliber as Marry Me? Is everyone on bath salts? Is it just me? Is someone's on bath salts and I, I know that I haven't eaten any faces off. For science, I looked up the Lion King 2's Rotten Tomatoes score and it's a 62%. So some comfort there. Moving on to something actually good. I watched Vikings Valhalla the whole season. I binged in one or two days, I want to say. No spoilers for this one as well. I'll keep it short and sweet. This shit is wild. Random but critical aside, my cats, my babies, the loves of my life are named Ragnar and Ungerboda. I'm a big fan of Norse mythology. Yes, I had to say it that way because it's really hard to not say North mythology. I'm not a fan of the assault and like torture and destruction. I enjoy the romanticized version of Vikings. I'm well aware they were absolutely merciless and horrendous monsters, okay? But Ragnar, come on, what a badass, come on. And Ungerboda, she's Loki's fucking boo thing and the mother of monsters. Pretty sure she lives on her own planet because nobody wants to deal with her. You gotta love that. Anyways, just a little fact about me and my pets. I was really excited to watch this. I don't care how many fucking Viking shows come out. I will watch and most likely enjoy every single one of them. Valhalla was no exception. It looked stunning. The actors were great. If you don't know, it's kind of the sequel to the other Vikings with Ragnar Lothbrok and Bjorn and Lagather and Rollo, all them. It takes place over a hundred years later and goddamn, goddamn, they brought the action, the gore, the drama, all the things we loved from the original Vikings. And it's unbelievable. Definitely give it a watch if you're into the Vikings. I finished episode two of the Genius documentary as well, and it's really well done. It's paced well. It shows really interesting and raw personal footage of his come up. Kanye West, by the way, if you don't know. His friend Cootie or Kudo, I think it's Cootie, gave up everything to follow Kanye around and film him because he believed in him so much pre-fame. It is absolutely fascinating. And it's crazy to see all these rappers on like a home footage from way back. I felt like I knew a lot about Kanye West post Through the Wire. I didn't really know much before except that he produced on the blueprint. That's really it. And I remember the first time my dad showed me Kanye West. He was like, this kid was in a bad accident after he finally got signed and he got his jaw wired shut and still rapped this song because he was that dedicated. And I was blown away. I was mesmerized. I learned every word in like a week and I love that song. That was one of the first songs I ever purchased for my iPod shuffle. The skinny one, the one that looks like a USB plug. It kind of was, wasn't it? That's how we plugged it in to get the songs on. When we couldn't see what song was playing, but it didn't matter because it was music in a little USB stick. 
So I do have a little soft spot for Kanye. And I don't know what he's going through. So, and I'm not going to pretend to know. That doesn't excuse some of the dumb shit he said and done. I don't agree with it, but I'm more inclined to be like, "Mm, I hope you get help if that's what you need. But no matter what, no one can take away the genius of this man artistically. Like, it's really crazy that we get to see someone like this in our lifetime. And it is really interesting, and myself included, because I was like, man, I miss the old Kanye, right? And he's always been the fucking same. (laughs) Like, watching this, I'm like, he really is the same person. And that's fine. Like, he's allowed to be confident to the point of arrogance sometimes, because that's Kanye, and he's always believed in himself, and he's always been, you know, really over the top. Like, that's always been him. So I was corrected. I was put in my place because I was like, Kanye wasn't like, he was humble. The highest people up got the lowest self-esteem. This is just a really well done docuseries. And I like that we learn about Cootie. Again, I'm so sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. I like knowing the man behind the camera. Also, seeing Pharrell absolutely stunned at Kanye's, uh, I believe it was Jesus Walks. That That was a moment. It cannot be overstated how talented he is and how much he left people in awe. I believe the next episode premieres on the 4th, but I could be wrong. I'm just really excited. This is going to be the wild Kanye era. And I think it'll be really cool to see what was going on behind the scenes of his most controversial moments. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else I've watched. Let me just give you some random shit. I had like a solid week where I only watched true crime shit like Southern Gothic, Forensic Files, The Devil You Know, Killer Crimes, uh, the Pwagugagu guy. uh, What is his name? Let me actually look that up really quick. Pazuzu. Pazuzu. I watched that documentary again because I'm pretty sure I already have seen it, but it's still crazy every time. The drug use was really uh, graphic. So heads up just in case you're not into seeing people shoot up in their cars. Hulu, I will say, has some of the best true crime. I know people would argue like, oh, Netflix, uh, no. Hulu's got the classics, especially if you like true crime shows, shit like Forensic Files. I think you would enjoy what's on Hulu. Uh, what else? Oh, I watched a Sasquatch documentary or Bigfoot. I don't know the scientific name for this creature. Uh, or if it is directly against science to think this is a creature at all. Uh, Hot take, I don't think there is a single interesting documentary about Bigfoot. They all bore me to tears. I've watched quite a few. I tried one on Hulu and it was one that was like heavily promoted. I'm pretty sure it was like a series. I do not remember the name of the series, but there was, if you remember, I'm sure you do if you know anything about Bigfoot, there's a picture of him from like the 60s or 70s. It's like the shaky Polaroid situation where you clear as day, see this like 10 foot fucking hairy beast. Well, the guy on the show pulled out the fucking helmet, the top, the head of this costume. That was the one that was worn in the picture. And he's like, nah, man, shit was fake. I wore that and my friend took a picture of me. Mind blown. Other than that, there was nothing interesting about it. I snoozed off, but like not in the good comforting way. I just had no choice. Like the back of my eyelids provided me more entertainment than that fucking Bigfoot shit. Oh, oh my God. Um, I don't have much to say about it, but the Book of Boba. 
um boring just dull truly and that's all i have to say about that like what a hot fucking mess of madness the finale was cool but i mean eh, not a good show in my opinion speaking of boba did you hear about that uh galactic star cruiser the star wars hotel okay Listen, I'm not a Disney person, and I know that's hard to understand. There is a difference. I'm a person who loves Disney. So I don't buy into this Galactic Star Cruiser $5,000 experience. I just don't. And for the record, do I think these Disney people are a bit cringe? Yeah, but like, I don't understand the hate that they get. It's kind of weird. Like, they like what they like, and it makes them happy. So like, why do you give a shit so much? Like, it's weird. But back to the Star Cruiser. I'm sorry. I'm not paying five fucking thousand dollars of my doll hairs to go on some bullshit Star Wars experience make believe voyage. OK, I don't care if Luke Skywalker himself fucked me up the ass with a lightsaber. I, I'm not doing it. It still wouldn't be worth it. It's dumb. Thank you for listening and coming back to season four of This Madness. I'm really excited for this season. I'm excited to put more content out there and I'm happy to be back. Be sure to follow the pod on Instagram at NCQH podcast and or my personal Instagram at L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z. And I'm also on TikTok at L-E-A-M-A-R-Z-Z. The first organization I want to spotlight this season is Global Giving Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. The Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund by Global Giving sprung into action once Russia declared war on Ukraine a short time ago. According to the organization's official website, your donation will help affected communities in Ukraine with a focus on the most vulnerable, including children who need access to food, medical services, and psychosocial support. Not only that, but the Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund will support humanitarian assistance in impacted communities in Ukraine and surrounding regions where Ukrainian refugees have fled. Their website is globalgiving.org forward slash projects forward slash Ukraine dash crisis dash relief dash fund. Or you could simply search Global Giving Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. Their website will pop up in the top searches. If you are capable and comfortable doing so, you can join over 13,000 donors aid the Ukraine. This is a verified, legit charity. If you choose to give and decide to go with another organization, that is wonderful. Just please be aware many heartless people are taking this tragedy and manipulating generous donors with fake charities. Please do your due diligence when selecting a charity. Google and intuition will be your best friend. Until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, and stay strong. (laughs) 